You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Deke Hager. Sorry. Here we go. And I'm Deke Hager. This is the WFHB local news for Monday, July 17th, 2023. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides a report on MCCSC redistricting from the media outlet's Morning Bulletin. More in today's feature report. I've seen places in Brown County that are frightening. It's not native and it eats everything up. We need volunteers to go out into the woods and to hack away at those invasive plants. Also coming up in the next half hour, Mary Reardon with the Bloomington chapter of the Sierra Club. Invasive plants are choking out native wildlife in the Hoosier National Forest and the Sierra Club is fighting back. Stay tuned to learn how you can help later on in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. On July 13th, the Monroe County Election Board continued their discussion on Joseph Davis's potential candidacy. President of the board, David Henry, introduced the discussion. And so um, we wanted to give the opportunity for Mr. Davis to clarify uh, the filing um, that he had made. Um, I should note that this is not a hearing on that matter. Uh, We didn't vote to hold a hearing on it. We're just still trying to understand the the nature of the submission and, and what's being asked of us. Um, and I also would just cite for the record, too, that we, we did have a hand-delivered letter that I, that I believe got to you uh, to be here present today uh, from Clerk Brown. And so I'm glad I see you in the audience there, Joseph. Davis spoke to the board and explained why he wants the election board to reconsider signatures from his petition. The reason I've come uh, here before you today is uh, the seeking of a just and fair interpretation of the signatures that I have turned in through my uh, petitions. Uh, There, uh, for sure, is an issue where voter registrations uh, uh, in their validation uh, create a a point of, of pending status and a limboness that is disenfranchising my uh, supporters in their quest to be able to put the candidate of their choice on the ballot. Um, Part of the problem that I as an independent candidate have been facing throughout this election season is that there are numerous ways in which uh, voter registrations are being kept from being processed. Um, uh, and married with uh, the signatures on the petitions that already have been submitted and were submitted throughout this uh, this uh, spring uh, period into June 30th, when the deadline to turn those signatures in uh, took place. So not only are there, excuse me, not only are there windows in which no voter registration can be processed, for example, during the early voting time. And then two, uh, up until uh, in this final week that I had uh, before the 30th to submit uh, petitions and voter registrations, there was absolutely no way for 
for the voter registration to be able to move through the process uh, in order for my uh, petition signature to count. Now, um, it's, it's been stated that uh, the voter registration becomes valid when the postcard is mailed out. Should that postcard not be returned, then uh, that voter registration becomes, uh, becomes for sure completely valid. However, upon the date that that voter registration is sent out, it's only if it comes back as undeliverable that that voter registration is nullified. Otherwise, the assumption is that once it goes out, that voter registration is complete in the eyes of the person who filled out the voter registration in order to be able to participate in our democracy. Davis expressed concern that there are barriers for third-party candidates to get on the ballot. Many, many people during the period that I've been collecting signatures have expressed that there are too many barriers to third-party candidates to get on the ballot. I feel that this is genuinely true. The people want to have more choices. But it appears as if the quoted election laws are really being set forth to keep independent candidates off of the ballot. It seems that uh, it seems that this unstated goal has been made apparent uh, through uh, through the evaluation of my signatures. One barrier he specifically noted was voter registration for individuals who don't have a stable home address. Davis said that some of his signatures came from residents who used the Shalom Center as a home address. Board member Judith Binkert commented that four signatures were approved that were registered at the Shalom Center and that that address was being considered. That I looked through uh, the petition that was submitted by you, Mr. Davis, that stated 4-14-23, and there are a total of six um, voters who were, who indicated 620 South Walnut Street as their address, four of which were approved and two were not. So 620 North Walnut Street is being considered in some way as being a valid address for some people, so therefore, just because it says 620, um, I'm sorry, I think it's South Walnut Street, um, doesn't mean that it's not being counted. I believe it's being processed the same as anyone else with a different address. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all I have. County Clerk Nicole Brown shared that she reached out for advice on what the state procedure is for reexamining registration status and found out that the election board does not have the power to process the candidate's petition like he requested. I mentioned this last week, but of course you were not here at the regularly scheduled election board meeting. Um, my chief deputy clerk, who is here today, reached out to Brad King at the Indiana Election Division and specifically asked 
about the relief that you're seeking, the possibility. And so I'm just going to read into the minutes what his response was. He said, there is no procedure set forth in state law for you to re-examine the registration status of individuals whose voter registration application was pending and not final at the time you examined the petition to determine if that individual was a registered voter. Therefore, under Indiana Code 36-1-3-8A12, as amended in 2023, which is the current year, the County Election Board does not have the authority to order or use the procedure you describe to process candidate petitions. That is directly from the Republican representative of the Indiana Election Division. So what you literally just shared with the chair would be your request for a remedy we cannot do. Does that make sense? The Monroe County Election Board will meet again on August 3rd. During the 10th meeting of the Bloomington City Plan Commission, commissioners heard a proposal to rezone 140 acres of land on South Weimar Road. Development Services Manager for the city, Jackie Scanlon, walked through the petition. We are looking at a petition from Sudbury Partners, LLC. It is PUD 1823. Uh, the general location is obviously off of South Weimar. The property is located um, east of Weimar, south of the terminus of South Adams, um, north of the Summit Woods development, and east of RCA Park and the Monroe County uh, government-owned project, or excuse me, property that's been discussed for uh, a potential jail. The property is currently um, largely zoned PUD. Uh, you can see there's a little bit of small yellow here, which I'm guessing is probably a, a mapping issue long before we did maps on computers um, and has stuck through. But the uh, property is surrounded in this kind of maroon, thicker color um, line, and that is the property that is being rezoned. And you can see here uh, to the North Arbor Ridge, part of the original PUD that was approved uh, in 1999. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, Summit Woods to the south with uh, the Adams Street extension here, and then Adams here to the north as well. So these properties that are kind of grayed out are in the county. They are not in the city jurisdiction. Um, and they are, uh, again, at Arbor Ridge, paired homes, and then um, west of Weimar, uh, single family. Scanlon continued a property overview of the petition. So the site is just under 139 acres. Um, it, again, as I mentioned, it's the remaining portion of the partially developed 1999 Sudbury PUD. The, petition, the petitioner is requesting a map amendment, which is what we commonly refer to as a rezone of the property uh, to a new PUD. Um, so that includes the processes of a new district ordinance, which is the new rules for the area, and a new preliminary plan, uh, which is how they plan to use the property. And uh, if you're not familiar, this is in the southwest portion of the city. Scanlon said that the petitioner, Sudbury Partners LLC, plans to build up to 6,000 new housing units on the property over the next decade. Plan Commissioner Flavia Burrell asked about the housing types that the petitioner plans to build on the property. What do you envision here? Uh, Owner-occupied? Um, I see that you have, you know, the smaller homes, uh, single-family homes to on the first phase. 
but then I see a lot of square buildings. Are they is are those rentals? Are you looking for people owning their own flats? I mean, what do you have in mind here? So we really are encouraging and designing our project to be a diverse type of housing type. So there, in the taller buildings, there would be an opportunity for condo ownership and ownership that wouldn't be a traditional. I own my land and the grass around it house, but an ownership opportunity that's much more of an urban style of home ownership, being a condo, as well as some apartments, as well as assisted living and those kind of facilities as well in the bigger buildings. We don't anticipate those bigger buildings will have big footprints like you see there as squares. Those are massing, okay, how, how much how many units and parking garages can we get on those? They would be smaller footprints, but they would be a variety type of housing options. Um, we have a commitment um, to provide housing options that allow for ownership. It's really hard for us to legislate in a zoning ordinance that someone own it, but we can design the buildings and do covenants that require them to be capable of individual ownerships for individual housing units. Is that Answer the question? Yes, During public comment, local resident Deb Pekin said she has concerns about the accessibility of Weimar Road. We've talked a lot about Sudbury and Adams as roadways and made references to Weimar, but no one has talked about the, con the, the condition and the size of Weimar as a road. It is a two-lane road. There is no shoulder at all. It is not adequate for construction machinery to be traveling up and down Weimer. On the south end of Weimer, from Tap Road, or you could call it Country Club Road, or it's got three names or something, um, that direction, it's the one-lane bridge to get up to Sudbury. And from Bloomfield Road and Weimer, there is an, a, such a steep embankment that one summer, it was so hot, Somebody with a U-Haul embedded the, the, the frame of the trailer in the road because it's so steep that they bumped into it. So it's, I don't, I, there's no construction, there's no cement truck, there's no giant hauling machine, there's no caterpillar that is going to be able to make it to Sudbury, which is, yes, a very wide road, but no truck's going to get there if they have to come up, they can't come up the Bloomfield Road and they can't come over the one lane bridge. So we really need to focus on access to even get to the existing portion of Sudbury before we can start talking about construction and where all of that equipment is gonna go. So that is my one bugaboo for today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. The Plan Commission will continue to discuss the proposal in future meetings. The next Bloomington City Plan Commission will happen on August 14th. In today's feature report, local journalist Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin provides a report on MCCSC redistricting from the media outlet's Morning Bulletin. We turn to Dave Askins for more. The B-Square Bulletin sends out an emailed morning bulletin every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
You can sign up for the Morning Bulletin by visiting bsquarebulletin.com and clicking on the tab labeled Subscribe. It's free. Here's an entry from the edition sent out on Friday, July 14, 2023. Headline, New Wrinkle on Redistricting for MCCSC Board Districts. Monroe County Community School Corporation, MCCSC, has undertaken a redistricting process for the seven board seats. There is now a collection of links about redistricting for the MCCSC board districts on the MCCSC website. There's a link to three sample maps, and the district has invited public comment about the three alternatives. The three sample maps were developed under a contract with the Indiana Business Research Center, IBRC, at the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. They are described in the IBRC's report. Two of the three maps were generated by using census block boundaries, not the more familiar precinct boundaries. Precinct boundaries are used to define district boundaries for city council, among other offices. Census blocks are smaller than precincts. There are 69 precincts in the part of Monroe County that is covered by MCCSC territory, but there are 1,984 census blocks. Their smaller size means that if you build districts out of census blocks, you can achieve way greater precision for population balance. I dumped the census blocks into a piece of open source software called Automatic Redistricting, which will generate districts that are optimized for compactness and population balance or other parameters. The map that the software produced was nearly perfectly balanced for population. The variance is just 0.12%. How is variance calculated? You take the biggest district population, subtract the smallest district population, then divide by the ideal population that each district would have if the districts were perfectly balanced. A variance of 0.12% is tiny. To give you an idea of how small that is, a variance of up to 10% is considered legally defensible. So the variance for the map generated by the software is about 100 times smaller than it would have to be to satisfy the legal standard. It's smaller than the variance for any of the maps developed by the IBRC. In raw numbers, for the software-generated map, the district that deviated the most from the ideal population has 17,371 people, which is just about a dozen fewer than the ideal number of 17,383. But that's not even the most interesting part. I spent some time this week poking into this question. From a legal point of view, can census block boundaries be used to define districts for school board seats, or do you have to use precincts? Co-counsel for the Indiana Election Division, Matthew Kochiever, pointed me to a statute that bears not on the question of boundaries, but rather on the question of the timing for a redistricting process. The law cited by Kochiever is IC 3-5-10-7. The law says, quote, a redistricting authority shall redistrict election districts according to the following schedule. And then there is a list, and letter B on the list says, for a school corporation only during the first year after the federal decennial census is conducted, end quote. 
There is an allowance for the most recent decennial census, likely added to accommodate for the late-breaking census data due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, However, a body described in clauses A through D that has not completed the redistricting on March 1, 2022, has until December 31, 2022, to redistrict the election districts from the 2020 decennial census. We are now halfway through 2023, so at first glance, it looks like MCCSC is outside the legal window of time for redistricting. I have emailed the MCCSC board chair with a question about this wrinkle. Maybe there's some reason the law is not applicable in this circumstance, or maybe there is some other law that supersedes it. I will follow up. For now, this has been Dave Askins with the B-Square Bulletin for WFHB. Mary Reardon coordinates hikes for the local chapter of the Sierra Club. Invasive plants are choking out native wildlife in the Hoosier National Forest, and the Sierra Club is fighting back. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Mary Reardon from the Sierra Club. The Sierra Club is an environmental organization and a hiking organization, activist organization also. And uh, the uh, Bloomington Sierra Club has been recently kind of resurrected. Years ago, the Uplands Group, it was called the Uplands Group because that's our, um, our terrain, was quite active. We've kind of resurrected that group and, and want to get the Sierra Club started again in Bloomington. So much of the important part of, of the Sierra Club, and also the Uplands Group, is to connect people back with nature. And the one, and my, role in that is that I am a uh, outings coordinator. What we want to do here is we get people to go hiking for fun. We do wonderful hikes. And also uh, we have adopted, we're in the process of adopting the Hayes Trail uh, in the Hoosier National Forest in, in the Dean Wilderness. Back in November, we went with the botanist and we uh, located a, an ungodly amount of multiflora rose that were just eating up the banks and, and these gorgeous wildflowers. Multiflora rose was planted by landscapers years ago because it grows well and it's indestructible. It's not native and it's all over the place. So what we did was we took our little... Um, saws and our little shovels and everything, and we got rid of, of a significant portion of multiflora rose. What we're doing now, is in this, we're adopting this trail, is we've gone back there 
to the very same site a couple more times and eradicated uh, some more of that multiflora rose. And wildflowers were starting to come back. And uh, now we're having beginnings of these beautiful wildflowers. Uh, no, I've seen places in Brown County that are frightening. You know, Ogle Preserve area is just frightening with, with multiflora and it eats everything up. You know, it takes away the ferns, the wildflowers, and the wildlife need uh, those wildflowers and uh, to, to nourish themselves and to propagate and to make more. I, I just have a passion for hiking, you know, and, and being in the woods and also to save the woods because I, I, it's a question of the heart. You know, what happens to your heart when you, when you see, see a beautiful flower and your heart just soars? When you're walking in the woods and and you see these invasives, not only multiflora but 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 dreadful stilt grass, which comes up at the end of July and, and August, when you see this, your heart breaks. So part of my part right now is is getting volunteers to go down into the uh, on the Hayes Trail, and this particular trail that that we've adopted is uh, we're in the process of adopting is just four miles out and back. Gorgeous, 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 gorgeous trail. So uh, a large part of the of the trail work is going on a beautiful hike because you need to hike about two miles in, then you see quite an abundance. It's really a good time. <laughs> all all of these kindred spirits who just would rather see a beautiful forest than a stinking parking garage, you know. Oh, I would love for people to be involved with the Bloomington, the Uplands group of the Sierra Club. Um, number one, we, de we need volunteers to go out into the woods and to hack away at those invasive plants. That's what we need people to do. People can go to the Bloomington Volunteer Network and look for the uh, Uplands group, and it starts with a U, <laughs> as opposed to S for Sierra Club. Look under the U, Uplands group uh, of the Hoosier Chapter of the Sierra Club. Again, I'm Mary Reardon from the Sierra Club. Please join us for a service hike in the Hoosier National Forest. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 